Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, Today's episode is awesome. My guest today is Allison Raskin. She's a New York Times bestselling author and the author of the new book, Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression. She's a comedian, a mental health advocate, and the host of the popular Just Between Us podcast and co-creator of a YouTube channel by the same name. You can also find her on Instagram. Uh, Her Instagram account, Emotional Support Lady, is awesome. And I think this is a really important topic for us to talk about. I mean, this is what most of us go through post-divorce, right, is we are learning how to date again when a lot of us have anxiety and depression, a lot of us have uh, or sort of come to terms with some of our mental health issues. And um, it's a really great and important conversation to be having. How to date while dealing with all of your shit. (laughs) I don't know anything about this. Um, (laughs) So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Allison Raskin. Allison, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your new book. So exciting. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So, okay. So, so let's talk about this book because this is really interesting, right? It's, it's one of the first books ever to talk about dating and mental health. Um, So like, first of all, like why, why is this not something we're talking about all the time? Like, I don't know. You know, I think, um, I think from the moment that I, that I started working on the book to when the book came out, you know, cause books take a long time. I think on social media, there is some more acknowledgement of it all. And, you know, you'll see some TikToks talking about it and everything, but yeah, for like longer form resources, I just think, um, we haven't quite gotten there yet. There's a lot of stuff in terms of, you know, like attachment theory and things like that. But this book really examines like how your symptoms manifest, how to talk about your symptoms with a partner, how your symptoms might be interfering with finding a partner, keeping a partner, you know, all of those things. And I think we're just at the beginning of what I hope will be a a much longer, you know, movement into really getting into the nitty gritty details of the mental health of it all, not just the like everyone has mental health. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, we do. Right. But like, it's actually a very, spe- I think it's, it's kind of a specific conversation to have with someone when you start dating them. Right. Like at what point do you open the door into like, you know, I was on a date with a guy, like, I don't know, a few months ago. And he was like, and we started playing like a weird, like 20 questions game, which was actually awesome. Cause it just kind of opened shit up and it was totally organic. It wasn't, you know, 
now we're going to play 20 questions. But he was like, he was like, so what's in your medicine cabinet? And I was like, huh, I think you want to know what's on the side of my bed. Cause my medicine cabinet is like Advil and hair gel. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're asking about the medication I take, they're actually by the side of my bed. (laughs) Right. And so that like just opened up that conversation organically, but like at what point and how are you like, so here's the list of medication I'm on, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? How do you, how do we do that in today's world in dating? And like why? And it's it's important to do it, right? Like we don't hide these things, and it's hard because it like you know I wish it was the kind of thing where I could say. And on the third date, thirty minutes in, that's when you first reveal. <laughs> but <laughs> unfortunately, you know it is going to be different for everyone. It's going to be different for every you know blooming relationship. But I think what to, you really should pay attention to are two things. And the first is what stage are you in this relationship? Like, is this still a very surface level thing that you have going on where like, you don't really know this person. Like maybe you've even spent many hours with them, but you don't know what their parents do or if their parents are even still alive. Like you haven't really touched the surface um, or scraped the surface of of their real story and their vulnerabilities and their, you know, their intimacies. Um, And so if, if you haven't gotten into that kind of stuff, then I don't think you have to go, okay, I'm on, you know, SSRIs, by the way, (laughs) Hey, what movie do you want to see? But I think if you are starting to have deeper conversations with somebody and for older people, and for anyone at any age that can happen on the first date, you know, yeah. you'll sometimes have a date with somebody that lasts four hours. And during that time, things are going to come up. So if you're starting to talk to somebody about deeper things, starting to reveal things about yourself and they're starting to reveal things about themselves that really are, you know, more intimate and, and more revealing of how they got to where they are and who they are, then I think it's okay to start to have that conversation, even if it feels like time-wise a little early. Right. But the other thing to really think about is this is not something that you have to share all at once. Mm. I think Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I felt like, oh, let me get it all out on the table so that they could either accept or reject me. And it really took a while for me to learn that it takes a long time to get to know somebody and it's okay if these things come out along the way and to lead with what is important now, you know, because for a lot of us, sometimes the more severe aspects of our mental health were more in our past, you know, Uh, hopefully like maybe you went through a, a really serious depressive episode, but that was five years ago. So like, that's maybe not what you start with because that's not as true to who you are today. Right. Um, and so sharing from a place of ownership, sharing from a place of I am I'm deciding that you are worthy of me sharing this with you and not from a place of I'm sharing this with you because this is going to be something that you're going to be in charge of or that will become your responsibility. I love that distinction, right? I'm sharing something with you because we've gotten to a place in our relationship where I feel like I want to open myself up vulnerably and share myself with you, not because... I'm giving you something to use against me or right. Or like actually have any thoughts or feelings about, right? Like, <laughs> And I mean, they will have thoughts and feelings. Of about course. It. And sure. I think that that's important to allow the space for. So that's another huge component mm-hmm. is where do you share? Yeah. Are you sharing it in a crowded restaurant where you can <laughs> barely hear them? Probably mm-hmm. not the best. Right. Um, are you sharing when they just got home from work and it's very, and there you can tell that they're really stressed out for whatever reason. Like. Mm-hmm. 
try to time your shares in a strategic way where like the atmosphere is calm, you're calm. And also there is time for them to ask some questions, be curious. You know, everyone is coming at mental health from a completely different place. Like I grew up with it. I I got OCD when I was four years old. So I understand mental health. I am not afraid to talk about it. I don't feel stigma around it. Um, I have a pretty great understanding of the different ways that it can manifest. You know, I'm also in graduate school for psychology. Like how I approach a conversation about mental health is going to be vastly different than someone who has almost no experience in it. Right. Right. And, and it doesn't mean that they have to, like, there's a difference between being, there's a difference between being knowledgeable and being open. You know, mm-hmm, so some people mm-hmm. might just not be knowledgeable about it, but they're open and they don't have, they're not anti-therapy. They're not anti-medication. They're not judgmental, but maybe they just like truly don't know what OCD is <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> right, Do you right, know what I mean? Right. Sure. And also, you know, people come to it from their different, different uh, perspectives and different experiences. Right. And right. so if you have someone who's, let's say their mother, um, was, uh, you know, was depressed and had mental health issues, but they were untreated and it like impacted their childhood or even if they were treated. Right. And it impacted their childhood adversely, or they dated somebody who had mental health issues and, and it, tr- and it, and it, you know, it could be triggering for them. You know, this guy that I was talking to that I was talking about before, I was like, why is this? So why is this interesting to you? Like, what is it that you're, what I said, I said, what's the question behind the question? Mm-hmm. Right. You're asking me what's in my medicine cabinet because I'm assuming you're trying to find out if I'm on any medication. And so why? What's the question behind the question? And, you know, it turned out he had dated somebody who was on a lot of medication. And like one day she forgot to take it and things went really sideways. <laughs> and he's like really gun shy about it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Right. Like good to know. Um, so you don't you also don't know what their experience is of it. Right. What their right. context is, what yeah. their maybe they they have a perception that isn't fair to how you experience these things, you right. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, if you don't talk about it, if you're not asking those questions behind the questions and you're just gonna feel judged or misunderstood. And and maybe you are, you know, that's the other thing that we have to allow for is there are going to be people that are going to judge you and misunderstand you and Better to know that sooner than later. Right, exactly. And bye. (laughs) (laughs) And bye. Um, So, okay. So why is it so important, right? Like why is talking about dating and mental health, like this specific intersection, why is this such an important topic? You know, for me, I struggled to date in a healthy way for so long. And I was so mad at myself about it. Mm -hmm. I thought that just something was wrong with me. And it took a long time for me to realize like, oh, no, this is like my anxiety at play. This is my OCD at play. Like these are things that in other aspects of my life, I'm able to externalize as separate from me. But because I wasn't really able to like fully understand the impact that they were having in my romantic relationships, I just felt like I I was bad at it um, or that I was mm. the quote unquote crazy girl when it came to relationships. And I, and the other component is that like, there are very few things in life that are more risky and more vulnerable than romantic relationships. Mm, right. And so that those things that are so important to you are the things that are going to rock your mental health more than things that you don't care about. Yeah. You know, so like, 
being rejected by somebody is most likely going to, if you are depressed, is going to bump up against you much more than like maybe like having to wait at a stop sign. Like, you know, like there's like, yeah. like these are the things that really deeply affect us, even if we're not struggling with our mental health. Mm-hmm. So then you mm-hmm. add on top of it that maybe you have these faulty cognitions, maybe you have these ideas around what it means to be rejected. And then it hits you so hard when these things happen, it could be really helpful to sort of do some work at the beginning so that you can date in a safer way. Mm. So that even though, you know, it's always going to be risky, it's always going to be scary. You're not setting yourself up to be as rocked by it mentally if, or when it doesn't work out. So how do we do that? Like, how do we set those parameters and those sort of containers for uh, like for people like me, like you who have, you know, a history of mental health issues, um, issues that like we are, that, that we are safe, right? Cause it is, it is fucking scary being out there. And I know that a lot of my listeners also are coming out of traumatic relationships, abusive relationships. They're like, dipping their toe back into dating, they're already, you know, damaged and, and triggered. And, and they've been, they've been really deeply hurt. They have trust issues, right? Some of them do have also have mental health issues. And then we are, we're throwing ourselves kind of into this lava pit and we don't know where, you know, where the the bubbles are. (laughs) We don't know when, you know, when the lion's going to like come out and grab us. How do we create containers and safety in that all with all of that? It's really hard. You know, I think one of the things that you can do is first decide if you're even in a mentally stable enough place to date at all. And sometimes the answer to that is going to be no. And that does not mean that you will never be in that place that you can never date again but you just might not be ready right now. Like right now, it might just be a little too dangerous, a little too risky. Yeah. And so some ways to determine if that's the case for you is for starters to look at the rest of your life, mm. right? Mm. Like, is your anxiety at play at work? Is it interfering with your friendships? Is it interfering with your your family members? Is your depression getting in the way of you doing the things that you want to do in your life? If these things are already happening, you don't then want to add dating on top of it. Right. Um, You want to sort of focus on getting yourself back to a stable enough baseline Mm -hmm. before you make that jump. Yeah. And then for other people, you know, maybe they are doing okay in other areas of their life and they're thinking, okay, I think I'm ready to date, but I do have all this trauma in this area. I do have a history of this really rocking my mental health. So how do I know if this time it's going to be different? And one, you can never really know for sure, right? Our mental health is not linear. You could be in a great place when you start dating only to have a dip a month in and, and need to reassess. But I think a thing you can do is sort of look at your views around dating. If you say to yourself, if I meet somebody and we have a great first date and then they never call me again, what am I going to think about that? And if you think I'm going to think that I'm a piece of shit. I'm going to think that I'm ugly and that I'm gross and that nobody ever wants to be with me. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> then maybe you're not ready to date. I don't right? know what you're talking about, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird thing. <laughs> like that's that's a signal that your thoughts and, and your cognitions around dating and rejection and what it means is is in a in a place where if those things happen, you are gonna get rocked because you believe some things that will be really harmful to you. Right. Right. So to start to do the work to say, why do I think that? Like, is that societal messaging that's maybe not serving me? Is that my insecurities at play? Is that me tapping into this trauma I had with this one person who is not representative of humanity at large? <laughs> um, and so, or is he? <laughs> well, right. You know, and and also societal, cultural, right? <laughs> and also being like very clear with yourself about what you want, you know, mm. because I think. If you kind of go into it really loosey goosey where you're going to date anybody and you're going to not talk to anyone about your desires and you're going to just bend yourself into whatever you think that they want, that can get you in a really tricky spot. Yeah. But if you go into every date knowing what it is that you're looking for, knowing what it is that you're willing to tolerate, knowing what it is that you want the outcome to be. And sometimes that outcome can be, I want to casually date. I've never casually dated before, and therefore I would like to try it. Like I'm not saying the goal always has to be a long-term relationship. It's just important for you to know the goal. That's right. That's right. And also it's really important. I I mean, I think I I tell my clients all the time, like just out of a divorce, just out of marriage, like date. It is one of the most self-examining and self-reflective. It's an opportunity to be, you know, to learn so much about yourself Um, as you go through this. And I think your mental health stuff, it really does come up, right? It's like, well, if I'm always in this state of anxiety, then like, maybe there's actually something more to my anxiety, right? You are learning there. It is constantly reflecting things back to you that you can choose to look at. Like you're looking in a mirror. And it's a right. lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to like reframe the entire way that we approach this huge area of our life, especially because we've been told to look at it in a certain way, mm-hmm. but it's worth it to do that work. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it's also, I think, really important to be at a place where you know how to self-soothe. Yeah. So if you don't have any coping skills, if you don't know how to calm yourself down when you start to get worried because somebody's not texting you back that's scary. Yeah. But if you've done the work to recognize, okay, when I'm feeling anxious, it's really helpful for me to go on a walk and listen to a podcast. Yeah. So you know that you have that in your toolkit. So when you text that person and they don't text back right away, you can go on that walk, listen to your podcast. And you can also do the cognitive work to say, my brain and anxiety is telling me that the reason they're not texting me back is because they don't like me but I'm going to offer some counterpoints. I'm going to offer the possibility that they're busy. I'm going to offer the possibility that they're going to get back to me in an hour. I'm not going to automatically latch on to the worst case scenario. That's going to make me feel the worst about myself. Right. Right. Which we love to do. Love to do it. <laughs> love to do it. You know, this is your, the, the title of this book is overthinking about you. Right. So we are we're already accepting the premise that our minds do fucked up things to us while we're dating and not judging yourself for that. Like if it is hard for you to date, of course it is like not assuming that like, Oh, it's something is wrong with me that I've already been through a marriage and this is still anxiety producing. Of course it's going to be anxiety producing probably even more so because you've been through a marriage that probably ended in a really painful way. 
Right. So you ha- your brain is is trying to protect you even more from going through that again. Yeah. And yeah. So viewing it as like a misguided attempt to help you, <laughs> like your anxiety is trying to help you. It's just doing a bad job at it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's just a little unskilled at, yes. in the helping department because it's anxiety. (laughs) That's like the definition, but there Um, is helpful anxiety, you know, like anxiety exists for a reason. Yeah. It's just that it can, it can be maladaptive. And that's Mm. when we need to like, be like, thank you, but no. (laughs) And now for a quick word from our sponsor, the all new fully revised, should I stay or should I go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all-new version has all-new videos, a podcast-like audio stream if you want to take the work on the go, and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules, the first of which is Who Are You?, This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this, yourself. Module three is called, Why Are Women So Exhausted?, and breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine, why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship, and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. Module 5 is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. And module six answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. I want to back up to like, what made you write this book? Like, what had you be like, this is the topic? (laughs) (laughs) 
no, getting back to just like my, my personal struggles with yes. dating, I, I really felt like this was an area that exacerbated my mental health in a way that nothing else did, you know, following breakups. I often became, you know, I, I would have a lot of su- suicidal ideation. I would self-harm. I would, you know, become the worst version of myself. Um, I would feel like a loss of control. And I noticed a, a few years ago that I was starting to date in a different way that I was like showing up in a healthier version of myself, that I could live in the uncertainty of where is this going much better, that I felt like I still wanted a relationship, but I I wasn't needing it to calm me in the same mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, oh, this is very interesting. <laughs> this is a cool transformation that I'm, that I'm seeing in myself. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, I was like, this is thrilling for me personally. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, what a cool journey. And I feel like this is something that, you know, I came up on the internet. Um, I, I worked at Buzzfeed years ago. I had a YouTube channel. I, you know, I've always shared my mental health online and, um, you know, through my socials. And it really felt like something people like to hear about and talk about because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just not talked about enough. And I thought, what if I kind of share this journey of mine, you know, learning how to date in a healthy way, despite the fact that I have these disorders. Um, And so the original conceit of the book was much more memoir based of me just sort of sharing my journey. But then I, along the way, kind of realized that I, I didn't just want it to be a memoir. I wanted it to be like, an actual roadmap for people with like Mm. tangible takeaways and applicable information that they could apply to their own life. And so I kind of blew out the world and expanded it with a bunch of mental health experts, you know, dating coaches, couples, and really um, the end result is a real blend of memoir and self-help so that, you know, you learn a lot about me throughout it, but you also learn a lot about what to actually do if, if you find yourself in a similar situation as I did. Right. Right. So, okay. So in the book, you, you talk about the fact that during the writing process, right. Your worst fear happened. Can you talk to us about that? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So while I was writing the book, I actually got engaged, which was so thrilling for me. You know, I've wanted to be married my entire life. Um, It was a huge goal for me. And it also felt like, oh, what a perfect narrative arc, you know, like by the time this book is out, I'll be married. I'll be able to say I'm a success story. Like I figured it out. And so can you. Um, and then, uh, that didn't happen because (laughs) six months later, my fiance, um, pretty abruptly walked out on me and said that, um, something was missing and I have not seen him since. And, you know, this was like, every worst fear of mine. I was completely blindsided. I was completely heartbroken. I had no control over the situation. This person who I love so much um, decided that instead of like trying to work on the relationship at all, he would rather just never see me again. You know, it it tapped into like all of my biggest fears and insecurities. Um, But what, what happened was I responded to that heartbreak so differently than I have responded to any other heartbreak in my Mm. life where while I was completely emotionally broken and that I was grieving, I was hurt. I was, I was suffering this huge loss of both of both this person and also the future that I had planned for myself. I didn't fall apart mentally. I didn't become suicidal. I didn't harm myself physically. I didn't blame myself and I didn't tear myself down. Mm. I sort of stepped in as my own friend and I sort of applied all the 
advice of the book that I had literally just written to myself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of proved this premise that if you have these sort of safety nets in place, you know, even the, the worst case scenario doesn't need to rock you mentally in the way that maybe it has in the past. Um, and so the original, you know, last chapter of the book was, you know, how do you make a relationship last? And it was this, you know, interview with my ex and it was talking about our relationship and our plans for the future. And now the the current last chapter is how do you not give up? Yeah. Because for me, it was really important that even though this horrible thing had happened, that I didn't lose sight of what I wanted and what I want personal choice is to be married and to have a life partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to say that I I'm in a new relationship and he's wonderful. And, you know, we're moving towards that future together. And, um, was it easy? No. Were there many times where I could have freaked out and bailed at the beginning? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. I, I pushed through a lot of discomfort and I, I was lucky enough to find somebody who was able to, to give me the space for that, who, who didn't make it so that I couldn't talk about what had happened, but instead let me actively grieve and process it with him. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm really excited for, for what we're building together. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause right. Cause like the fact that this thing, horrible thing happened to you. And the, I think that's, that's to me, cause I'm warped, right. That's the greatest, that's the greater success story in my mind. Not just that like, and in the end, Allison got married and happily right. ever after. <laughs> right. It's like, no, in the end, this horrible thing happened. And the success is all of these tools work. Right. Right. Not that all of these tools work to get you a life partner or to get you married, but these tools work to not destroy yourself right. when you are abandoned, hurt, whatever. Right. And I, I move through the world so differently now than I did before this happened. Like yeah. I, I know what I'm able to handle. I also like, I, it's not that I'm like bracing myself for my current partner to leave or for me to get divorced in the future. But I think I used to fear divorce as like, this horrible thing that I could never recover from. Mm-hmm. And now I view divorce as something that might happen to me. And if it does, I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right. like incredibly liberating. Yes. And then, you know, call me girl, call me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do, but I don't want to ever want to hear from you about this ever. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if it happens, right. Like, and this is, this is what I talk about all the time, right. That like when people are, cause I, I well, you know, my, my, my biggest program and a lot of the work that I do is on the, should I stay or should I go aspect, um, helping people make that decision. Right. And, and I think we've got this idea of failure, you know, the divorce is a failure and, and all of these things. And, and, you know, I, I think what could be, what could be more of a success than living a fulfilled and happy life really. Yeah, and something that this experience taught me is that I have the capacity to be happy in so many different versions of my life. Mm. Like I'm a, like we are all able to adapt and pivot and even if like the future that you always saw for yourself isn't the future that you're able to have, you can still find a future that is just as happy and just as fulfilled. That's right. Assuming that you're actually doing this work, right? That you're actually doing the work on, on your own mental health, on like taking care of yourself, creating those containers. I mean, what do you, what do you recommend for people? I mean, is it, 
therapy, medication, like, I mean, obviously you're not diagnosing people, you're not prescribing things, but like, you know, what are the, what are some of the tools that you're offering in this book in particular? You know, I think that we don't talk enough about how healing has to be active. Mm. Like there's this sort of this idea that time heals all wounds, but it, but not if you're like, not if you're like wallowing in (laughs) self-pity or like checking their Instagram every 30 seconds, Uh like you have to make some active moves to recover and to heal yourself. Um, and so sometimes that's a lot of times I think that's cutting off contact with that person. I think that's, um, figuring out what it is that you want, um, and then not settling for something that is not that just so that you can fill the hole of having a person in your life. And then in terms of the mental health of it all, you know, I think for a lot of people, therapy is, is not accessible, which is just a huge failure on the part of our society and not Mm -hmm. the individual. Right. Um, But, but if, if therapy is something that you have access to and the financial resources to get, I think it is a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, It's probably the best resource available, you know, also keeping in mind that therapy doesn't need to be forever. Right. So if you're going through a really hard place and you think I can't spend $200 a week, you know, ad infinum, Forever, yeah. I, I don't have that being able to say, okay, but for how long can I do that? Right. You know, can I, can I do this for, can I really prioritize and do this for six months? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. looking at, at more, you know, better options in terms of costs, like group therapy is proven uh-huh. to be just as helpful as individual therapy and is often a lot cheaper. Right. Um, so looking for some group therapy resources in your community. Um, so many more things are available on online now, which makes it more accessible. Yeah. And then, you know, the medication, there's an entire chapter in the book kind of dedicated to medication because my, my thesis isn't everyone needs medication. And, and I don't think everyone needs medication. And I don't, and I know medication doesn't work for everybody, mm-hmm. but I didn't want people to not try it simply because they were afraid of it or misinformed about it. Yes. I love that. That's great. And, right. And like, you know, again, there's this belief that like, Oh, if I'm on meds, I have to be on meds forever, but that's not true. Some people really just need to be on meds for targeted periods of time. Some people need to be on meds forever, but higher doses, dosage at certain periods of time than lower doses. Like it is much more flexible and malleable than I think we're led to believe. Mm -hmm. And I also really wanted to empower the reader to remind them that they're in the driver's seat when it comes to medication. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not just the doctor. I I mean, sometimes there are bad doctors and we have to account for that, but it it should not just be a, a psychiatrist telling you what to do. It is an ongoing collaborative conversation where you're allowed to say what works and doesn't work for you. And sometimes you have to try multiple things before you find the right fit. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's just the reality. (laughs) It is because they all do slightly different things. Some of them do vastly different things. And because we can't like open our brains up and see like, what's, what's, you know, I mean, I went through this with my son who has very severe ADHD. And when he was little, like, we don't know which, you know, is it the firing that's the problem? Is it the connecting of the neurons that's the problem? Is it that like the landing strip? Like, we don't know what, where the problem is in the brain. And there's all these different medications that do all these different things. And you just don't know. It's And it's trial, trial and error. It sucks. And sometimes they don't even know what the meds are doing in the brain. <laughs> like, that's right. the thing about this area right. is that like, they don't know. A lot of like, do you feel better? Again, yeah, like <laughs> you, you know, feel right? better, great. Ooh, awesome. you know, like 
I yeah. wish we understood the brain better, but at this point in time and in science, we kind of, we don't understand as much as I hope we will soon. It's um, so, complex. so there is a lot of trial and error. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I will say, I'm very open about this, that, you know, I, I would say you can pry my Zoloft out of my cold, dead hands because I will, I am not meant to be not on medication. Right. So, so like, you know, if you end up having to be on Medicaid, you know, if you choose to be on medication for the rest of your life, then like also awesome. If that is your choice, right? Some people are like, I don't want to be on meds my whole life. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> why not? Do you feel better? Great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, and that's really what the psychiatrist I interviewed, um, Dr. Yashari was saying, but she was like, look, we don't know the long-term benefits of, of what it means to be on these meds for your whole life. We just don't have the, we don't have the science or the, the research behind it, mm-hmm. but what we do know is what it means to be miserable and anxious and stressed and depressed your entire life. <laughs> exactly. And that has a pretty negative impact. Yeah. Look, I'm 51 and I was on, you know, I wasn't until my forties that I was really like, okay, <laughs> yeah, we, there's a problem here that that's like probably a long-term one. Yeah. I know. I have like, I have most of my life experience not on medication <laughs> and then like, the last like seven to 10 years on medication, mostly like the last like five, I think on medication and like, yeah, night and day, night and day. It's wild. And it, and Mm -hmm. it is so kind of eye opening sometimes. Like I remember going back, I've been on and off meds my whole life pretty much, but I decided to like wean myself off of them when I was like 21, which yeah, because you felt better. Right. Yeah. Cause like, I don't even know why Yeah, (laughs) I went back on them when I was like, I like either 27 or 28. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, like, is this what other people's brains are like? Do other people just walk around like this all the time? <laughs> and the answer is like, not all of them, but like, uh-huh. A lot of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, right? Oh, I, I mean, I could talk medication forever, even though I like know nothing about it, but it's just, it, you know, it was a life-changing thing for me. But the, another part is that, you know, a lot of times the side effects that you will get from yeah. medication will be side effects that do interfere in your yes. dating life. Um, and so being able to talk about that and being able to yes. decide, you know, what are your priorities? Like, would you rather, you know, be able orgasm? to orgasm or <laughs> Or yeah, would you rather right. be able to have a healthy relationship because your anxiety isn't, you know, self-destructing your partnership right. every moment of the day? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. I the the la- the latter. I don't. I, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So who like who is your book really written for? Who are the people that I think would benefit the most from reading this book? I mean, besides everybody, because you're funny and you're also a comedian and like you guys all need to like check out all of you have a bunch of Instagram, a couple of Instagrams, right? How many of you have two, two of them? Just two. Just two. Sorry. I'm like, you have my like dog's Instagram, but I never Instagram. promote that one. <laughs> okay. Just two. So besides for anyone who wants to like be entertained and but but who is this really for? You know, originally I, I thought it was really for people with anxiety, OCD and depression who are trying to, you know either form healthy relationships or maybe are already in a relationship, but struggling, Mm -hmm. but it's been really wonderful to get feedback that it seems to be applicable to anybody trying to have healthy relationships, 
romantic Ooh. or not romantic. Yeah. I've gotten some feedback that it's been really helpful for friendships and, you know, non-romantic relationships and that a lot of people, you know, don't meet the, the criteria to have these disorders in the DSM, but they might still really see themselves in the pages of the book. So yeah, I, I think it's really for anybody who has struggled to date in a healthy way. That's like everybody I know, yeah. <laughs> except for the marrieds, like when they're unicorns. But honestly, I've had some people who are married who say, I, I still like this was still valuable. And there were some things I still need to incorporate and work on here. So, you know, yeah. if, if you have, if your mental health is at play in your relationships in any sense, um, mm-hmm. whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed, severe or not severe, I think it can be helpful, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I th- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So before we go, you say that you, you have some like tips for online daters. I know a lot of my listeners are like dipping their toes back into the realm of online dating. And they like a lot of these people like haven't dated in 20 years, <laughs> you know, like the internet. What? Um, so what are some tips that you uh, have for people? You know, I think that people tend to think that like dating should just happen to you. Relationships should just happen to you. It's like, oh, when you least expect it, you should then- walk up to my front door. That's what I think. Right. <laughs> if I'm like, if I don't leave my house and I'm just sitting on the couch and watching Netflix all the time, why isn't he just coming to the front door? <laughs> but yeah. I really encourage people to view finding a partner in the same way they view any other aspect of their life. Mm. Like to view it like, a job where you use the same energy and like strategies that you would to like do like something in your career. Right. So you want to put an effort. Um, I think a lot of people will do it half-heartedly and then they won't have a great time and they won't have a great result. And then they'll yeah. be like, well, this is terrible. And I hate this. Right. Um, so really spending the time to invest in yourself and to invest in your profile, mm-hmm. you know, you want your photos to actually reveal who you are. Yeah. You know, like the more that like it, someone can see your profile and think, oh, I have something to say to this person because I have some concept of who they are based on this profile is really helpful. Yes. So that's not yes. just like, oh, your photos are like you looking your absolute best. It's you doing things that you like, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. be uncomfortable. And when you're out on a boat with your friend because you love to boat, make your friend take a photo of you doing that. Right. Like it, it's uncomfortable to do and it can feel silly, but the payoff is like really worth it. And then also only engaging with profiles who do the same, you know, you don't want to engage with a profile that like, there's no information about them because it shows you that can't they really care. Well, yes, there's like, right. There are two aspects. I always look at it. I'm like, oh, well, this is a, the exact amount of effort you're going to put into dating me. So right. bye. Right. And also, right. Like y- y- like there's nothing to latch on to. Who anyway. are you? Like, what am I get? like, especially on like, you know, Bumble or Tinder where like, really there's just not a lot of information to go on. Like if I have to write a first email, a first message, like fucking give me something to say to you. Exactly. <laughs> right? and the, the biggest thing is you want to be yourself because if you're not yourself, you're wasting everybody's time. Yep. Like it's yep. not about how many bad dates can I get? 
It's how many good dates can I have? And that should be a much smaller number. Right. So like go into these conversations and talk about things that are interesting to you. Like make the joke that you're a little afraid to make to see if they'll find it funny. Because <laughs> if they find it funny, then you know that this is something you're probably compatible with. Right. <laughs> but if they don't find it funny, then what are you setting yourself up for? 20 years of not being able to make the kind of jokes you like to make? Right. Like, no. Right. The more yeah. authentically you can be yourself from the very beginning of these interactions, the easier it is to weed out people and to then also notice the people that you actually spark with. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other huge tip is to, is to date productively in that you should always have a screening call. You should never just go from texting to meeting someone in real life. You should absolutely have a FaceTime or phone call first so that you can figure out if it's worth, you know, pumping yourself up, getting dressed, driving there, spending the money. Because if you keep going on these terrible first dates where within one minute, you know, you're not compatible with them, you're going to burn out. So you want to really have that initial screening first so that your actual in-person dates are less, but higher quality. That's right. Listen, guys, everyone, you know, most of you know this who, who are listening, but you know, I've been divorced for 13 years. I have been in a couple of, you know, long-term relationships in the last 13 years, but I've probably spent more time dating in the last 13 years. And I can confirm <laughs> that what Allison just said is like the one of the most important things. I have wasted every single time I didn't do it. I would, I'm like, if I'd had a phone call, I would have known if I've had Mm -hmm. a phone call, I wouldn't be here. So, and, and the amount of energy it takes for a woman to get ready for a date, like, you know, he just takes a shower, puts on a shirt, goes out the door, you know, all that we have to do for a date. Don't waste your time. Don't waste it (laughs) because it's really our time, right? It's women's time that gets wasted more than, more than anything. Of course. (laughs) Uh, I try not to, to look at it too gendered because I think that there's, you know, everything's a spectrum, but you really do want to respect your own time and you only want to, Mm -hmm. you know, spend your time with people who respect it too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Allison Raskin, thank you so much. Where can people find you on all all of your Instagrams, your (laughs) your hundreds of Instagram accounts, your two Instagrams and, and your book, where can people get your book? Yeah. So overthinking about you, navigating romantic relationships where you have anxiety, OCD, and or depression is available pretty much anywhere books are sold. So um, I'd love to support the indie bookstores. I know the Strand in New York has signed copies and also ships internationally. And then online, you can find me at Allison Raskin. And I also have a mental health focused Instagram account, which is at emotional support lady and a Substack by the same name, emotional support lady with a weekly blog, a podcast, a vice column. And then my weekly podcast is called just between us. Awesome. So great. It's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. I'm so excited for it. And I think it's going to be, you know, really helpful to just, I mean, it already is right. So helpful to so many people. So congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.